Yo, yo, what's up, brother? Hey, happy one year, man. Happy one year, right? We got some exciting stuff coming up in year two. We're, uh, we're really, really happy to announce that, um, that we are just signed a, an ambassadorship program with Schedulicity. Schedulicity is a scheduling app and, um, they've been kind enough to, uh, to help us out this next year. Yeah, they, uh, we met them in LA when we did the, uh, Salon Digital Summit and they, really believed in what we were doing mm-hmm. and how we were doing it. And so they wanted to know how they can partner up with us to, uh, to even reach more listeners and, exactly. and give what we give. That's, that's right. So, um, with our, uh, with our partnership with uh schedulicity, we will be able to reach more hairdressers and we'll be able to bring a lot more content and get to a lot more hair shows. So, uh, hopefully we can see you guys out there on the hair shows when we're there visiting. Yeah. And, and they're going to give us a, some business tips, uh, throughout the podcast as well and i'm so excited that you know we're partnering up with people that believe in the same things we believe in yeah no doubt uh, that that's pretty exciting so uh anyway schedulicity once again big shout out to you and uh thank you for joining your day off <laughs> silly another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey and of course I'm sitting with my best bud, Tone. What's up, Tone? Hey, what's up, brother? Hey, uh, this is uh today is a day where we we start getting into uh you know into other areas of our industry that yeah. we haven't really gotten into yet. And I'm pretty excited. We um we today our guest is uh, Maddie Conrad. Um, the Maddie Conrad story is we've been uh, beating him up for about four months to get on the podcast. So yeah. today's the day that we finally get to talk to him. The art of handsome. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, we were just, just right before we got on air, um, I was telling Maddie that we are um, definitely more committed to, um, to talking to barbers this year. I mean, for it's, it, to be honest, it's just kind of new to me because, um, you know, until we started the podcast, until we launched the podcast, I well, wasn't... If anybody saw you, yeah, definitely <laughs> haven't seen a barber in a while. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> it's really bad today. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, like, when we started the podcast, it, like, it, it really opened my eyes. Like, oh my gosh, there's a whole, like there's a whole world here. There's a whole generation here. And like, not that I didn't see it before, but, but just doing the podcast, we, uh, yeah, outside we, of the rusals, we haven't really talked to anybody in the barbering field, right? We haven't talked to anybody outside the, yeah, you know, except for the rusals, you know? Yeah. So, and barbering is so strong right now. I mean, if you're on Instagram, I mean, you just see it. I mean, it is strong. It is it's strong. It's everywhere. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, I guess we can talk about it with Maddie a little bit, but it, it, you know, it's not, like barbering isn't just barbering, right? Like you have like like foundation type styles like um, that the rules will show, and then you know you have some stuff like uh, like our friend Johnny Cash up in Pennsylvania that um, he won the license to create award for the uh, hair tattoos. So you're seeing a lot of that, which is pretty neat. Um, you know, it's like again we were talking before, like where barbering was just like you know where you went to take your kids, and and, and it's a whole different like thing now. It's a whole different art now. It's a whole different. And I'm probably being dumb because I know if Rob was on the podcast, he'd be yelling at me like, it never went anywhere. But again, for my eyes, it's just it, it, it's social just, media, right? It's just another mm-hmm. avenue that, that mm-hmm. 
you know, what people are doing out there, we can see actually because of social media. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's get into it. You think they're tired of hearing about us? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm definitely, I want to hear more about Matt. Yeah. So. Forget about us. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Matty Conrad from Victory Barbers and Brand. I think I got That's it. Right. There you got it. Nailed it. Hey, welcome to your day off, bud. Thanks so much, you guys. How are you doing today? Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. awesome Thanks man. a lot for having me. I've, I've been watching you guys for a while. It's a really exciting to get a chance to come on here and, and hang out with you guys. So thanks a lot for being so patient. I'm sorry it took so long. No, no, no. No worries, man. It, it, it happens when it happens. It happens when it's supposed to. Yeah. So, so before we get into uh, all the uh, great stuff you're into right now, yeah. where did you grow up? Where are you from? Oh, man. Okay. I am from a small town you've never heard of. It's, it's called Victoria, British Columbia. It's in the extreme west coast of Canada. Uh, it is the most beautiful part of Canada. It's it's uh, it's an amazing place to grow up. It's a, a town of about three hundred thousand people, so it's not huge. It's a, a ferry ride or a plane ride away from Vancouver, which is where I spend a lot of my time now. Uh, I still live in Victoria. I still live here. I've got a house, and I, I, I live in the community I grew up in. Uh, I just I spend a lot of time on the road now as well, so not as much as I'd like, but I do love it here. Is, all your, is that where all your family still? Yeah, yeah. My mom and dad live here. My sister and her family, my brother and his wife, they, everybody lives here. Uh, I've got family over in the UK and down in Australia and stuff too, more extended family. But, but uh, yeah, we all, we all grew up here and none of us really left, um, which is weird for a city like Victoria because it's a, it's a town where there's a, ton, a big university. A lot of people come. They love living here, but they, there's not a lot of job opportunities. So usually what happens is people will do their, you know, it's, and it's a nice place to be from. You know, right. <laughs> so you, you grow up, you do school, you maybe work your, your jobs in the service industry, but then when you want to get a career, you have to move away. And um, I never did that. I managed to make a career uh, of what I love doing right here. And I, I got to um, build something inside the community that I grew up in uh, that is part of the community now. You know, it's part of the fabric of, of the city that we live in. And I really love that. Wow, that's pretty cool. That is super cool. It's like mesh. Like he's, he's meshed himself into the community, you know? <laughs> you force it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not leaving. You can't get rid of me. Matt, it's time for you to go. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. So uh, where did your, uh, where'd your hair journey begin? You know, uh, this is funny. I, I was one of those kids uh, growing up in school. Like my mom cut my hair. All right. I could show you some haircuts that would just turn your face white. It's uh, <laughs> she was not a talented woman when it came to the hair arts. Uh, she all she really she just had a pair of scissors that had a ring thing on them. And she felt that that made her qualified to cut another human's hair. I know the pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, those weird little bowl cuts he used to have. I remember the first time my mom actually like, um, Remember picture day, you know, when that was the day that you, oh, yeah. your parents, you know, as if you're a parent and you have kids, picture day is not just another day of the school year. That's the day to show all the other parents that you got your shit together. <laughs> My mom didn't really subscribe to that. But I remember one time she tried to give me what she called a proper gentleman's haircut where, uh, you know, I didn't know anything, but I knew that grandpa was a proper gentleman, you know, and Superman, Superman was a proper gentleman, you know, like always that cool side part and stuff. So that's kind of what I had in mind. And instead, what she did was she put that bowl back on my hair and, and cut the haircut she knew how to do. And then she pulled my ear out of the way and cut a hole around the ear. And when she put the ear back, she just started laughing, like that kind of laugh that you do where you're trying not to laugh, but you can't help but laugh, kind of like you're doing right now. And, she like, and I remember the look on her face was just like, well, that didn't work. And 
I just had this bowl cut with one hole in one side and like left long over the ear on the other side. And she just sent me to school on picture day like that. She's like, well, uh, it's not going to work out. Maddie, Maddie, do you still have that picture? Oh, yeah, I got it. You want to see it? I, no, I'll, bro. Here's a, yeah, you send I'll email it. in it. And then when we release the podcast, we're putting that up. Oh, that It is honestly great. like, I think it's the one moment in my life I can pinpoint. Like at the time, it didn't really, like I was a kid. What do you know? I was, right. it was that period where your adult teeth were growing in, you know? So like I got chicklets <laughs> in my mouth <laughs> that are like strangers at a party. They're not all together, you know? They're, just, they're in the same place, but they're not hanging out. Right. And, and so it was a little awkward. And I, I kind of grew up with parents that were like really style deficit, you know? So I didn't have this innate sense of style or even really understood what that was about. You know, I, I, my older brother is nine years older than me. And so my hand-me-down situation was brutal when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> I, was, Already I was going to school in the eighties and I looked like I just gotten off the Partridge family bus. in the 60s. <laughs> you know, so. I, think, I think that's going to be the uh, title of our podcast style What's deficit that? with his picture. Deficit, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, welcome to it. And so, I mean, I'm the most unlikely hero of this kind of thing, you know? Like, I, I don't, I, the fact that I'm doing what I do now is kind of a miracle because I did, I was not set up for that as a kid. I, I was actually one of those marginalized kids, you know? Like, I was, I was kind of awkward style. I came from a family that didn't really put any importance on that or really like much importance on socialization and stuff. So, when I was in school, I was a little awkward and, and kind of quiet and, and weird. I got bullied a lot, I, I moved schools and stuff. Uh, a couple of times and, and what's really funny about that is uh, when you are a marginalized kid all right like you, you put way too high a priority on the idea of being popular or being liked or or being accepted by the popular kids now the funny thing about it is is if you if you really break it down and look at the popular kids they're the most extraordinarily mediocre group of people because, they're working in your warehouse right now, right? <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that are working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're still working at that restaurant job and they're 45. So the thing about it is, is they, they, they were doing that thing and it's like, you're trying to be mediocre. The exceptional kids don't get celebrated. You know what I mean? The, the artistic and, you know, enthusiasts are different. The kids that are different. All the people that kind of make up the hairdressing industry. They're not like a bunch of the popular kids. They're all the weird kids. All the weird ones are real artistic and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like that's a relatable thing for most of us. And I love that. Um, so when I, when I first started hearing about like the hairdressing thing, like that never even registered for me. I never thought I would go into hairdressing. I actually took up in my grade 12 year. I took like four blocks of mechanics of like auto shop. <laughs> in grade 12 year, I thought I was going to be a mechanic. Uh, so I was, I went to work after school. I went to work in a, garage and in about three months realized that I hated that like I hated the work I hated working I didn't like the people I was working with it was not my vibe so from there I got a job at a restaurant and at night um the the place where this restaurant was situated I was just washing dishes in the back man and um all these hairdressers would come and sit at the bar after work because that's what hairdressers do they get off work and they go have drinks and yeah. man they were cool. They were so cool. They had style and they just had so much life in them. You know what I mean? Like I had a crush on every single girl. Cause I was like, <laughs> and, and all the guys had cool hair and they just had cool clothes and everything, everything about these people was attractive. You know what I mean? Everything about them was inspiring to a, a style deficit, 18 year old kid. 
Did you see them as like the popular kids? So was it, was it, was it intimidating when you first met them or? I didn't. Yeah. Oh, intimidating. Sure. Like you're impressed by them. Like, but they're not intimidating in the way that like hairdressers are very warm people. They're very inclusive and they're very like, they're not people that are like the cool kids. You can't sit with us. They're the ones that want to strike up a conversation with you and they're great communicators and they're, they make you feel included. And I think that's, what's so cool about hairdressing is an industry. You know what I mean? We we've honed our social skills to understand how important it is to make people feel welcome, but to make people feel included and the way that we care for people, we're an industry of people that care for other people. And so that's, that's just part of it, you know? And, and so when we did that, uh, I, I remember looking at these people and thinking to myself, like as a style deficit, 18 year old, I want to go to hair school so I can be just like that. It had nothing to do with like a sense of style or art or creativity or anything. All the things that you should go to hair school for. I went for the worst possible reason <laughs> to meet girls. <laughs> I mean, basically, yeah, that, to meet girls, to try and be cool that, to, you know, to get some sort of sense of style. And, and it, it didn't come in hair school at all. Like it was, it was a real battle. I, I really had an uphill battle learning uh, to not, not just to trust myself, uh, like massively insecure and, and very frightened of my own uh, creative ideas. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was really about um, attaching myself to some of the things that I really loved about hairdressing, which was maybe the client interaction. I loved the people part. I loved caring for the people sitting in my chair. I love that way that you make them feel the way that when they look at themselves, when you're done, they see something different. They see something more beautiful about themselves. That's an impossible thing to not love. Um, I, I like working with my hands. I really like the practical application of things. And I started to realize that I really love the idea of the technical cutting, especially because it spoke to my like nerdy kind of nature that I have for, for work. And, um, I really loved that part. And, and so some of the things I had to battle to learn a little bit more about styling or, or being more creative with, with, you know, let maybe sometimes less creative with styling, <laughs> you know, think making things commercial looking and stuff. It's easy to take some stuff and make it just into a, a living sculpture, but doing something that really makes someone feel pretty. And so, yeah, I got into hair school that way. Um, was it a barbering school or it, it was, or I know. There, uh, interestingly enough in Canada, there was no options for that. This is 1994, 95. There was, there was no options left for barbering schools. I, I didn't have an option for that. And at the time, that industry wasn't exciting. You know, it was, it was like old, it felt like old guys that were chained to a chair waiting to die. And most people that were going to a barbershop at that point, when you ask a guy where he goes to get his haircut and he says, I, I just go to the barbershop, it's like he was apologizing for being cheap. You know what I mean? And it, it didn't seem like a fashion forward industry at the time. Um, and so it didn't hold a lot of appeal for me, you know, and it wasn't a thing where I was like, I didn't know enough about it at the time, but it, it wasn't like, a, oh, I want to get into that. You know? I guess, yeah, cause you, I mean, I guess back then you didn't really see that many female barbers either. So if you're going to hair school to meet all the, all the women, uh, it makes sense that you would go to a, you know, <laughs> I'll just go right. you know the funny, I, I'm sure that's the reason I, I, at 18, I'm sure that was a part of the reason why I went, but I, I quickly realized that that is maybe the worst plan ever. <laughs> all you of the mis- all of the mystery is ruined all of it it's like gone <laughs> it's, it's totally gone we have, you know that, that story's definitely come up especially for like um like uh straight hairdressers that have, that came up in the 80s and the early 90s like that that seems to be kind of like the common the common story you know about why they started hairdressers i mean this is certainly not the first time that we've heard it you know it's really funny a lot of people ask uh, if, if i had seen the movie shampoo uh yes. and i still haven't seen it i've, I've I never seen that movie so 
I, I, I understand what it's about, but I'm like, I no, I haven't seen it. I still haven't. Uh, so you graduated in like 94 from hair school? Uh, yeah, 94, 95. Yeah. Right and then you started there. working in a salon? Yeah, I, I was really, uh, I was really full of chutzpah back then. I, you know what I did? I, I, one of the girls who was going to my school, who's taking the, um, the makeup program, uh, was really good at doing makeup on herself and had this really interesting and weird hairstyle that she asked, I didn't cut, but she asked me to trim it up one time. And I did, uh, three weeks later, somebody saw her two weeks later, whatever, somebody saw her and took pictures of her and it ended up on the cover of this local magazine. And so me with all of my vibrato grabbed this magazine and walked into a hair salon by my house. And I said, I did this. <laughs> Will you give me a job? And they said, okay. Uh, so so uh, ridiculous as it was, I just kind of stormed down the door of this hair salon and I worked my ass off in this place. And what was funny about it, and I, I'm not sure how this translates to people these days, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> getting out of hair school yeah, nine yeah. months in hair school i know a lot of people that walk out feeling like oh yeah i can tackle this i got this all on lockdown i didn't know anything if i look back <laughs> at it now i didn't know what i was doing and i it was like a miracle that i graduated so it's just so funny to look back on those days and to think of some of those clients that stuck around as long as they did and realized that what a proving ground it is in the first little bit. And I remember I, I talk in classes about this too. And, and one of the things that maybe we could talk about a little bit, that I think is funny is that there is this feeling that you get uh, when you first start this thing. And the reason why you get this feeling is because of your first client that sits in your chair, the very first client that ever sits down in your chair they sit down and it all goes something like this. You're going through the consultation, you see their lips moving, and all you really hear in your head is, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> and then once they've stopped talking, you start doing what you know how to do already with a slight modification that you feel like makes it kind of fall in line for what they asked for, okay? And then halfway through the service, they all, for some reason, know to ask one simple but completely terrifying question, how long have you been doing this? Like they're like bees and dogs. They smell fear. Every single first client knows to ask, how long have you been doing this? And in that moment, every person that's listening to this podcast that had that happen, every person that's been a hairdresser their whole life, we all did the exact same thing. We lied. We lied. <laughs> People, we told them nine and a half months. Like we include the day we registered for hair school as part of our education, you know, yep. our experience yep. level. We lie to these people. And it's, it's with good intentions. We lie to them because we're afraid that they're going to freak out if they find it. Well, actually, uh, you're my first client. <laughs> and because like, we're afraid they're going to freak out. But the problem with it is, is in that very moment, every hairdresser that's ever started this has become a fraud. You've become a fraud in that moment. And there's a reason why people are afraid of themselves for the first couple of years of this or doubt themselves or don't feel maybe as actually confident as they should. Because if you're promoting yourself really hard without actual confidence, the problem is that's just all ego and arrogance. That's the only thing that will come out is ego and arrogance, which is misplaced. But if you're actually confident, you actually learn, you actually press yourself forward, you're able to slowly erode that feeling of fraud. And that's why education is so important in what we do. You know, that education kills fear, not knowledge. Knowledge kills fear. The more you know, the less you're afraid. But that's one of the things that was so funny is that that's something I took really uh, away from my first years as a hairstylist was just understanding, I think, how um, 
insecure I was about my own work and how, how much doubt I had in myself and how hard it was to get over that feeling of fraud until I realized that education was such an important part of that, which is why I'm, I'm so um, determined to educate people to not to be less afraid these days. You know, that's really the, the approach that I take with my education is I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to help you be less afraid. I'd, I'd rather leave someone inspired than impressed, which is my motto for education. And, and to help people past that point has become a huge part of what I do now. I love that. I'm going to write that down. And that's amazing. I mean, and what a, what a, what a shift, right? Like what a shift when you're, te- when you're teaching a class that, you know, I'm here to remove fears. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the most uh, debilitating thing that, that, that the human experience is about, you know? Well, so. I feel like it holds a lot of people back. And I, I, I took, I've been in education now for 12 or 13 years. So, so more than half of my, almost half my career, I've been doing education. Um, first in, in taking it and now in teaching it. And I've worked with a lot of different people and I've seen a lot of different education. I've seen a lot of different people that call themselves educators out there, but I always gauge uh, somebody's class or somebody's performance by if I was, if I didn't know what this person was talking about, would I be more afraid of cutting hair going back or would I be less afraid? And I think that's a big thing because a lot of people like to get up and show you how much they know, which if anything only shows the people in the audience how little they know and makes them more afraid to cut hair. And I think that that's a big problem and educators need to look at that and think like, am I empowering these people to go back and do better and to, to feel better and to feel more enthusiastic or am I making them more afraid of what they don't know? That is so empowering. I know I'm sitting here. Dude, you're, you're inspiring me completely. (laughs) It actually kind of reminds me. I mean, that's a t-shirt there rather to inspire than to impress. I love that. That's definitely a t-shirt. Um, yeah. Maddie, like we, uh, Tony and I were, were, were fortunate enough to be in LA back in, uh, was it November, November, yeah. December, um, November uh, is November. Yeah, November 4th. It was the uh, salon digital summit. And we actually took a class with, um, with, uh, OMG artistry, Olivia. Small. Oh man. Olivia is a, a really good friend of mine. She is an absolute doll. She's an absolute doll. And, love and, her. and, yeah. and, and the way that she taught her class, was exactly what you were saying. Like you left that class so empowered. Like I'm a terrible note writer because I never know what to write down. You know, like when I'm, if I'm sitting in a lecture, I'm like, what's important, what's not important. You know, I, I don't, I'm always. It's okay though, because you, you got him. I mean, I haven't seen him put his pen. <laughs> <in there. laughs> exactly. I mean, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> but in Olivia's class, it was like I, I couldn't keep up. She was yeah. just giving bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. Yeah. And, 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 and you, you have to leave that class feeling empowered. You have to leave that class um, um, knowing exactly what to do. And that's exactly how she, she taught it. I called her afterwards and we talked a little bit after the class. And I said, you know, that was like a four-hour YouTube tutorial. Yeah. Like, like all the BS was gone. It was, all, it, was, it was about like, here's how you do this image. You position them like this. These are your settings. If it's daylight, this is your setting. If it's a ring light, this is your setting. This is how you set up the ring light. There was no like BS about it. It was like exactly how you do it. So one, anyone that's listening, if you get a chance to do Olivia's social media class, 100% do it. Oh so, yeah, I recommend it too. It's amazing. And, and, and what I'm hearing from Maddie, if you get a chance to take any of his classes, 100% do it because, um, you know, he's teaching it as a tutorial. All the BS is gone. It's about you, not him. Well, I, I, I'm working on a lot of that right now in myself. Um, that, that was just a thing that I, I learned very quickly on that I think is, is uh, the most authentic to who I am. You know what I mean? And I think that's really important when you're in front of a group of people or whether you're just in in, with two or three people, it's just always important to be whoever you are at at any given moment and make sure that the, you know, what you're sharing is, is 
honest and true to who you are. You know, not everybody's going to feel that, but I get asked by so many people these days, man. I honestly, for the first part of my barbering career, the most common question was, what clippers do you like? But now they're like, how can I be an educator? Because people see me flying all over the world and they see me hanging out with all these other famous barbers that they know. The funny thing is I I, I freak out about that every time because I'm not like, I don't think of myself as one of those barbers. I think they're all those barbers. And when I hang out with them, I'm like a little giddy. But um, <laughs> it's really weird. When, when people ask, like, how do you get to be an educator? I always feel like, okay, are you asking about how to be an educator or how to be a rock star? Because I think the two look similar, but they're real different. And um, go ahead, man. Sorry, you look uh, like you. No, yeah, yeah. So before we move further into this barbering and education. Oh, yeah, don't let me but, jump ahead too far. No, yeah, that's so we're, we're in a salon right now. Yeah. You know, you just fought your way into the salon by this magazine picture cover. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, crowbar. Yeah. Uh, so what's this I did a crowbar. I've just, that was the biggest power move I think I've ever pulled in my life. But what's the story from there to entering, uh, becoming a barber? Okay. So, uh, like I said, I started taking a lot of education. All right. I took a lot of classes, um, I worked with a number of really great education-based companies taking education and, and, and teaching regionally for uh, companies like TG early on, uh, companies like Bumble and Bumble. Um, you know, these, these were great companies. They're, they're amazing and, and really well-known for having excellent education. You know what I mean? And eventually what happened was um, I had opened a small hair salon with a friend of mine. It was really, really cool. And this guy came through the door. Uh, he was the president of... Uh, Schwarzkopf professional and he took one look at me and he's like I want you to come up to Toronto and I want you uh, to audition for our team and that had never even like hit my radar before that I was like this is crazy so I got uh, I got into education that way he I I came out to Toronto Uh, I I stepped into a room full of people that knew uh, intimately how to cut incredible haircuts Uh, I didn't I, I came up with that whole kind of cut with your feelings mentality, but, um, but I love technical haircutting. Like I, I love it. I just didn't know it very well. And uh, there's a lady named Kathy Simon who, uh, who is, if you've never heard of her is pound for pound, one of the best haircutters in North America uh, for sure. And she took one look at me and she said, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and, ooh, ooh, ooh. and at this point I was like, you're, you're right. And she said, that's the right answer. And I said, okay. Uh, you want to show me? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And so this lady uh, taught me how to understand hair in a way that I never had understood it. Um, I, I uh, taught me to fear nothing. Um, taught me to really not just, she didn't teach me a couple of haircuts. She taught me to cut hair. And, and that's another thing that I really try to approach in my classes now that I've, I've learned from her is it's so much more important uh, to teach people to cut hair than it is to teach them two haircuts. And so it's really, really uh, the way I like to approach things. It changed my life. It made me much more confident what I was doing. And it took that fear away. I could tackle anything that hit my chair. Um, the unfortunate thing about it is, is that on that, for every Kathy Simon out there that is an amazing technical haircutter who yearns for people to grow technically and, and be strong artists, um, there is uh, 500 other hairstylists who are more concerned with wearing glittery outfits uh, fireworks, pumping techno music and doing something showy, but kind of ridiculous on stage. And I realized the more I was out doing education, the less education I got to give and the more of a show was expected. And it just, it started to break my heart in a weird way. You know, like how many times you go to a hair show and walk away being like, well, that was really exciting and cool, but I don't know if I learned a single thing. Um, 
and I realized what really connected with me wasn't the rock star. It wasn't the stage. It wasn't the, the glittery show of it all. It, it was the education. I would rather be in front of two people teaching them haircuts than in front of 2000 people putting on a show and teaching nothing. And I got to, I, I got really good. Um, one of the things that's interesting about working with companies and doing education, and that's just something I want everyone to think about for themselves out there. Uh, and, and maybe understand that the, our industry is primarily not creative. That's the funny thing about it. Our, our industry is primarily not creative. It's recreative. Uh, the interesting thing that most of us do uh, as artists, we, 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 we don't understand how to access our own artistry. What we do is we borrow from other people's. We're taught collections of haircuts. We're taught trendy haircuts. We're taught all these things that we are then taught to recreate with, a, a, you know, with an incredible sense of, uh, sometimes with an incredible sense of skill. But the problem with it is, is if you ever really have to come up with something that is completely unique by yourself out of nowhere, you realize the limits to your own creativity because uh, we are taught through education, through classes, through almost everything about our industry, how to be recreative. And there's a few creative people that do these really amazing, unique looking things that nobody's ever seen before. And you think to yourself, wow, they're incredible. How can I do that? And then we copy them and we, we, we make our own style out of bits and pieces of other people's. And, and I learned that really early on that I was excellent at recreating haircuts. I was excellent at teaching on stage and could recreate almost anything that you showed me. I was a very proficient haircutter. Um, but I didn't feel one bit creative. As soon as somebody gave me a, a 10 minutes to look and go like, you need to do something different, do something creative and wild. I would just kind of like freak out a bit you know what I mean inside and not outside I could when you're on stage you're always holding it together you're like no problem I got this but really inside you're like holy shit <laughs> it, it was a thing that was really sobering for me and I realized okay cool uh, I'm not great at being creative and maybe that's something I need to work on and I started to learn a little bit more about how to do that but with um with the overall show of things, I just, I fell out of love with it, to be honest. Um, so what, so how did you challenge yourself to become more creative? I mean, that, that, that it sounds so easy or it sound, it's easy to say, you know, it's easy to say that I'm going to be more creative, but I mean, what, what was that discipline like? If you want to, if you want a really good exercise, um, here's one. Uh, think of the thing that makes you uncomfortable to tell other people that you like as much as you do. Like, what are you super nerdy about that you're like, okay, I'm kind of obsessed with this. Remember that word we're talking? I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with this. Like, what are you kind of obsessed with? And think about, like, what are those things that you don't want to tell people you like as much as you do because you don't think it, that you think they'd think you were weird? You know what I mean? Like, um, I'll, I'll tell you what mine is, and it relates to tons, and it'll make perfect sense to you. Um, I don't know why, but my whole life, I have been obsessed with World War II almost everything about it, like uh, the style of the time, the, uh, the whole history of the military and that thing, the history of the time, how it all came down, how it, I'm not, I don't in any way glorify it. I think it was one of the worst things that's ever happened in history, but at the same time, I'm fascinated by it. I watch all the documentaries. I've seen all of the movies. I have gone to tons of museums. You know, like I, I just, I'm drawn to this stuff inexplicably in a, in a way that other people would think I'm super weird. And I realized very quickly on that, that little thing is probably the most authentic thing you are. It's probably the most authentic thing about you. It's the thing that you don't do because it's cool. You don't do because it's interesting or popular to other people. It's just a thing that you're almost embarrassed by, but is undeniable. And that is probably the most authentic person you are. And when I started really looking at things through that, 
I started to realize that a lot of the things that really appealed to me had that sensibility from that era, that time when I started doing barbering. I mean, way before those those haircuts were being seen on the street, I was doing those haircuts and I was entering them into hairdressing competitions and the hairdressers didn't get it. They were like, why did you enter a bunch of haircuts that look like your grandpa? Because everybody that was winning these awards were guys that were, had a grown up Justin Bieber haircut with eyeliner and a whole bunch of scarves on. You know what I mean? And I was, and they were looking at my stuff like, that's weird. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's weird. Sure. But I dig it. I think it's cool. And, and that, it was empowering because even though you're going against the grain and doing something weird and people didn't get it, I got it. And it was the most satisfying thing I had ever done to that point. No matter how good I got at recreating somebody else's thing, the things that I was creating for myself that other people thought was weird were so satisfying in a completely different way, you know, and, and I connected with my own work in a way that I never had before. And it, it was just, yeah, it's hard to explain, but there's just a feeling that you get where you're just like, well, this is me. That's amazing. That's amazingly inspiring. Well, it, 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 it rained. I mean, it, it just, it, it inspired you so much at a point to where you became, uh, last year, uh, the uh, Canadian hair hairstylist of the year, correct? Uh, Canadian barber of the year. Yeah. I, I had one. Um, wow. That was actually, uh, that sounds so weird. I don't, <laughs> I don't, here's the, I I'm deeply proud of that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a quantifiable thing, but I, I, I'm really, I really appreciate the votes that I got for that. I, I won Canadian men's hairdresser of the year for the first time in 2014. And, um, and I, I had won that award twice, uh, two years back to back. And then uh, I had won a, a couple of the, the BTC uh, Big Shot. Um, you know, I've been a finalist in Nahas. At that time, hairdressing, uh, because we didn't have Instagram as popular as it is now, hairdressing was very much um, about the awards. It was about the magazines. And, and, you know, to get yourself noticed or to get your work out there, you, you had to compete. You had to do those things. You had to, you had to get uh, images in there. So when it, back when I was hairdressing in the salon, I learned to take photographs. And that was a really important part of my journey is, is learning photography. You said uh, compete. You said yeah. compete. Was there uh, a time where, uh, I think I read this somewhere, where you and a, a, another, a fellow barber, you guys would post your work up and play like yeah. House of, or was it, what would he call it that one? I remember this was back. It was like game of fades or something we called. <laughs> and it was, yeah, you post one up and it was like a game of horse and you would post one up and get the guy to see if he could mimic it or copy it. And then the guy would do a haircut and you'd have to copy it and post it. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. That was, that was, that was like really early on in, in the whole Instagram thing. I don't even know if we ever finished that game. I think we just got, <laughs> we got so distracted after the first two haircuts. We we're like, ah, he's good. I think it's a good idea, though, man. I think, like, yeah, maybe we should start that up. That's that pretty is, cool. But that oh, just shows your competitive spirit because even then you're you're competing and you're not even, uh, it's not even even for an award. It was just more of a bragging rights. Exactly. Oh, I, but the thing is, like, no, even even awards are just bragging rights. I mean, every everything that comes along. I mean, really, it is just for your own self. Like, if you if you're I stopped competing a couple of years ago. Like I stopped altogether. Uh, I had been up to that point regular, like regularly a finalist in things like Nahas and, and all that kind of, and it was great. It, it was really great. But I realized that um, that was awards and uh, Instagram followers and things like that. They're not the end game. You know, like people start treating these things like they're the, they're the finish line. 
you know what I mean, for the race. They're not the finish line. If anything, they're just a springboard in the middle of the race. You know what I mean? Like it might get you a, a tiny bit further. It might get you an opportunity that you didn't have before. It might get you noticed by somebody that didn't notice you before, but that's not the end game. And people treat it like that's all you need to do. You've reached the top and here it is. That's just not true, man. It's, it's a chance to use as an opportunity to get ahead. And, and I didn't want for myself to participate in a thing where I was standing in the way of somebody else getting their opportunity. And not to say that my work is so good that that would happen. I just didn't want to even take the chance on that because I think I, at one point I had a recognizable name and I know a lot of these industry magazines and, and award shows like to try and keep recognizable names around, you know what I mean? To, 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 for whatever reason, do you know what I mean? And I just didn't want that to happen. So and also, I didn't need those opportunities anymore. I've had more than my share of amazing opportunities in this industry. And if I haven't been able to make something of it to this point, then I don't deserve to. You know, I've just, I've been handed so many incredible things, even just getting a chance to sit and talk to you guys. I mean, like, these are, you know, it's, it's more than I deserve. I'm blessed beyond measure. And, and I think at this point with me, I, I mean, I have my own brand. I've got my shops going and stuff. I'm, I'm, the, I'm working my ass off. I'm working so, so hard at this because I want to be worthy of all of those opportunities. But mm. I want people to remember that, like, that's what those are. They're not the finish line. They're, they're just a potential for a new opportunity. And, and you have to be willing to take those opportunities when they come along and recognize um, when it's an opportunity. You know what I mean? That, that's, I think, one of my biggest advice to people coming up in this industry, and I know I keep jumping ahead here, but one of my biggest pieces of advice uh, growing up in this industry is understand what an opportunity looks like. Because a lot of people I see, like I've handed out a lot of opportunities to people, and I'm constantly shocked by some of the surprise reactions that you get. One is like, is this an opportunity or is this somebody taking advantage? Understand that you have, you know, if you want to get ahead in this industry, you are going to bust your ass for free a lot. You know what right. I mean? I still do. I still bust my ass for free. I still go and, and pay to go to some of these things that I'm at just because I want the opportunity to participate. And, and I think that's a, a really, really big thing in understanding what, what this end of things looks like is, um, you know, use those things as opportunities, use them as springboards, but also understand when an opportunity comes your way and learn to jump on it. That's, that's incredible. I mean, and, and, you know, Matt, I'm also going to thank you very much for that because I think, you know, Tony and I, we, we kind of struggle with that a little bit too. Like where, <laughs> when does it pay off? Where does it pay off? And, 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 you know, but keeping our eye on what opportunities can come from it. I kind of want to, um, but staying, staying humble and, and what's the bigger picture. And, and it's, you know, go back to what he was talking about earlier, you know what I mean? Rather, uh, to inspire than impress rather to, teach or help others uh, more so than trying to create a show or trying to impress them in, in, in a certain way. Uh, and I mean, yeah. you're just, just listening to you speak right now and, and you're so humble, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it's, really- I'll tell you, it's easy to be humble when you're not as cool as everyone says you are. <laughs> hey i should be pretty humble <laughs> but you know what here's the thing like, like, a million t-shirts i got to re-listen to this podcast uh, just with a man i'm gonna need royalties for those t-shirts you know oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> you want his royalties know, already said you know what's you know what's interesting um though is uh, at the end of the day like i mean i'm surrounded by great people that uh, my, my friends back home my clients at home they don't really know a lot about what i do you know what i mean uh, they don't know a lot about all the rest of this stuff because what do they care i mean it when, when you have a client in your chair, it's about the person in your chair, not about you. And so the less they know about that, the better, I think. I mean, they, they see Instagram, some of them, you know, and they see, they're like, oh, wow, you're, you're really traveling around. I'm like, yeah, I get around a little. 
And <laughs> so that's it. I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, this is a, 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 a currently a fascination, but really, I mean, we're, we're just barbers. We, we are the most humble, but noble, I think, job that there is. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and I think that's really important to keep your head on when it comes to that stuff. And it's easy to get outside of that stuff. It's easy to see all the excitement of it and the rock stardom and all that kind of stuff. But understanding that, man, I mean, it's, it's a temporal thing. You know what I mean? Like you, you got to try and keep your head on and keep your integrity throughout it. And don't, don't, uh, don't waver from that. You know, my, my grandfather was a great inspiration to me. And I mean, he, he was one of the people that really made me understand that integrity is, is a currency that you can't reclaim. You know what I mean? You, you spend it, but you can't reclaim it. Hmm. And so it's a, it's an important thing to, to keep close. And so, I mean, he was actually one of the reasons why I started my barbershop in the first place, you know. It sounds um, like he's the reason why you have a fascination with World War II, because I'd imagine that he's about that age. Yeah, he is. He didn't end up in the war. He, he was not, uh, he was not uh, serving, but he was a little young for that, but he was, um, he was a really interesting guy. He grew up around that time, yeah. And, and it's, it's funny, because um, when I stopped hairdressing, it was actually uh, a bit of a slower progression than that. I had stopped teaching hairdressing very abruptly. So I, I stopped that very abruptly. There was one show that I did that I just, I left the stage feeling sick to my stomach. And I was like, guys, I can't do this anymore. This is not what I want. And that's not what I really believe in. So I stopped doing that. Hairdressing uh, is an interesting thing. My, my grandfather passed away and a whole bunch of people showed up at his funeral. I didn't know. Um, they said really wonderful things about him. And uh, the thing that struck me most was my dad. Actually, my dad got up and he read his um, eulogy. And he started with my grandpa's high school yearbook quote. Um, do, you, do you remember like in, in grade 12, did you guys get to do that? You'd, you'd like write a quote next to a picture of you kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. it's like, it's supposed to be something deep, <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> most, I think most kids today just write song lyrics or quotes from Gandhi or something like that. You know what right. I mean? As if it's 17 years old, you've earned some earthy wisdom to share with the ages. Mm -hmm. Right. But my grandfather's changed my life. Like, I was at this point where I was feeling like, okay, this hairdressing thing is a little silly. Like the education end of it anyway, it just felt kind of showy and ridiculous. And I looked like if it truth be told, I looked like Rufio from the movie hook. Cause that's just what <laughs> male hairdressers looked like in the nineties. So, so it's just funny. I, I ended up getting to a point where, um, I, I was listening to my dad's, uh, sorry, I was listening to my dad deliver my grandfather's eulogy he started with his high school yearbook quote that said this, I will never let anyone, be more of a gentleman than I. And that's all he wrote. And I don't know why, but it absolutely flattened me that at 17 years old, this man had the, had the clarity to write something, not only so succinct, but something that for the next 80 years of his life, he lived out, you know, and that was incredible to me. And that showed incredible integrity. It showed an incredible character it made me really start thinking about like, what the hell happened to guys? Like what happened to guys that made us not that, you know, when I, I started looking at the generation uh, where he grew up and the way that they would take pride in their appearance, not because it was about ego for them. It was about showing um, it, it was about, it was about showing the community, uh, you know, um, respect, you know, is 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 personal respect and pride and, 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 I saw all the guys walking out of the hair salons with the Moppy Bieber haircut and, or the faux hawk or, or, or something, you know, the guy liner thing. And I was, I just started looking around at the overall style and I was just like, what happened here? Where do we lose our dignity? Where do we lose our pride in male, men's grooming? There was this word that came out in a magazine right around that exact same time that was really popular. You probably remember this word. It was metrosexual. 
<laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yep. sure. I don't know a single guy that took that word as a compliment. You know, I, I think in, in my estimation, and I'm a bit of an, uh, I'm a bit of an anthropologist when it comes to this stuff. So I teach a lot of classes about it and I find this fascinating to talk about, but in my mind at that point, uh, it set off a, a situation that I commonly refer to as hypermasculinity, uh, where we, at that point, there seemed to be this line drawn in the sand where you could either be real fancy and, and high maintenance, or you could be a complete dirtbag. And there didn't seem to be much middle ground, but somewhere in between those two things I realized was this classic era of grooming, this gentleman, this pride in your appearance that still had a deep underpinning of masculinity. And what we had done in the, in the salon industry, and I'll, I'll forward you guys some, like a class that I taught on this, but it's, it's basically the history of hairdressing and how barbering was thousands of years old before hairdressing basically absconded male, hair, male clientele in about the 1960s, which was the first time the unisex hair salon even existed. Uh, took most of the guys in, started giving them women's haircuts, and, and that's really easily provable. Uh, and not even necessarily women's haircuts, just haircuts that are based off of oval shapes that hairdressers had learned to cut at that point, not realizing that the bone structure between men and women is different. They did what they had to do. They did what they knew to do. Um, men started wearing these round women's haircuts for uh, pretty much 45 to 50 years uh, before anybody started seeing these old classic haircuts that look like my grandpa's again. And there's a reason why they look so strikingly different. It's because they're cut to suit a bone structure. And so what ended up happening was basically we took guys in, we, we permed, we frosted tips, we colored and bleached, and we, we, we plugged them in between uh, services that we see as high ticket in the hair salon. We're taught to think that high ticket items are actually what make us money in the hair salon, right? We're doing the color work, the you know, chemical work, and all that kind of stuff. If you really boil down the numbers on that, you're losing money on that stuff and you were making money on men's haircuts because it costs almost nothing to provide. It's a, the, such a low overhead service and they're super loyal and they buy products and all these kinds of things. So we were, we were kind of sold a bill of goods where it's like, oh, great, we do all the high ticket items and then we cram them in in between because that's our like 15 minute haircut that we know how to do. There was one haircut that every hairdresser knew how to do, uh, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, they had the men's haircut that they knew, right? It was like short on the sides and just like point cut the top across and mess it up with some products. It's call it bedhead. And there you go. You know, but <laughs> the problem with that is, is that that just became such a low standard of service for men that it was really quite easy for barbershops to step into a void because most of those guys grew up in a hair salon. They grew up going to that area where that's because that's where the good haircuts came from and going to a barbershop is about being cheap. I saw it as a completely different thing at that point. You know, I saw it as this opportunity to look and go like, look, my grandfather never came to the hair salon to get his hair cut by me ever. I did it a couple times at his house, but he never came to the hair salon because that's not where men went in his estimation. That's not what he grew up with. So when I had uh, the barbershop open, he had passed away already and I wanted to build very succinctly a place that not only would he have come but he would have been deeply proud that's amazing. i wanted i i i, I decorated the shelves the, the, it was a brand new space that we took over i i took a house that had been torn down recently uh in victoria i, I contacted the guy i bought all of the flooring 
Uh, I bought the floor joists. I bought all, all the wood. So everything that went into this place was 100 years old already and had all this wear on it. The floor was all beat up. I, I started collecting barber chairs from everywhere. I went on this mat, this pilgrimage and I became obsessed with old barber chairs. And I was picking these things up for like two, 300 bucks at the time because people were just wanting to get rid of them. They were heavy and old and kids had been drawn on them with crayon or whatever. And there's, you know, some, some guy had a hopes of making a man cave and then just sat in his garage for eight years. You know, so basically I was buying all these things. I was hauling them around and I was collecting them. And it was like I was pulling them out of the dirt. You know, some of them were rusted and needed a lot of love. And so I had them refurbished and all these old chairs that still had this feeling, this soul to it, you know, and all of the stuff that I found for the shop had come out of this reclamation yard. And it was these mirrors that they weren't even mirrors. They're actually windows from a hotel that had burned down. You know, the big window sashes that they used to have. Yeah, I yeah. found a whole bunch sitting in the mud with like all the, the original glass in the top. And so I pulled these things out. There were six of them and I pulled them out of there and I turned them into the mirrors that we used in the shop. You know, it still has the ledges and stuff. We sandblast them. They look really cool. And then um, I found these old lockers that were milled and rusted. And I basically all of this stuff that was old and beat up and rusted and discarded. And I, made it my goal to bring this stuff back to a point where somebody would look at it and go, man, that's beautiful. You know, it was, it felt like a metaphor for what I really wanted to see happen in barbering. And at the time there was nowhere to copy. There was nothing I could look at that was like, well, this shop has done this and this shop is, and this, this is a cool technique for shelves or what. And there's nothing, there was nothing to copy. There was one shop going on down in LA that I thought was doing something interesting, but it was a really different style that I was going for. I wanted something to feel very much Canadian, not that retro Americana barbershop, hot rods, chrome and stuff. That wasn't me. I wanted something that felt a little more 1940s industrial, you know? And so, uh, you know, you look on Pinterest, didn't exist at the time, <laughs> like all, all that so stuff. Matt, I mean, I, I think this is a, maybe this is a good point to kind of jump in. Like, like how did, I'm curious, even if you know, maybe you don't know, but you seem like you got a pretty good grip on like a barbering history, but yeah. like, it seems like, it seems like what you were doing and what Rob and Lane were doing down in Shoreham. And there's a couple of UK uh, barbers as well. Like, like how did this all timing all work out? It seems like you guys kind of started all at the same time and kind of yeah. now, and now the industry is, is being awarded from that. And then, you know, just the collective, like where did it come to a head well, or the interesting how, thing how the hell did this happen? A lot of us, it, you know, we, we get together, like a lot of us are good friends. Um, Rob and it, Rob is a really good friend of mine. And I actually agree with him. Barbering, barbering never went anywhere. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, he yelled at me about that. It, it, it never went anywhere. Uh, the thing is different, much like everything you were talking about earlier, there, there are different facets uh, in barbering that are just as diverse as women's hairdressing. And that's the thing that I think is interesting. That one haircut that every hairdresser knew how to do is just not sufficient because guys' hair is just as complicated as girls' hair. There's just as many variations and different types. You're going to get your Latino barbers. You're going to get your urban barbers. You're going to get your, new, like, what we call new market barbers, which is kind of where we fall into, you know, these, like, the new movement of barbering, which is this kind of more neo-traditional kind of style, you know what I mean, coming back. But then you're also going to have, like, your cheapo chop shops and stuff. There's always been that. What we've seen is a resurgence in new market barber. So we've seen um, more of the the, I think – I don't want to say the word trend because I hate the word trend. I don't think that this is a trend. I think it's more of a movement, but I think the interesting thing is that we've seen more of the mainstream uh, return to barbering. You know what I mean? And the idea that uh, barbering can be seen as quality again, not just as, you know, cheap discount. 
But what happened there was interesting because really early on when we started doing our thing, I was desperate to find anybody else that was doing this stuff because I felt like a weirdo. I, I remember the very first day, um, actually the night before we opened our first shop, like I, I became obsessed with this thing. Like it was crazy. I, I had this crazy obsession with barbering at that point. I, I couldn't explain it. And, uh, and it was that thing that people thought would be weird. And um, <laughs> I got so in debt. And my shop that I opened was the biggest shop I'd, I'd ever seen uh, as a barber. It, it was, was 2,500 square feet, which is still by today's standards massive. Wow. Um, it, was, it, it was crazy, man. And I remember getting so in debt and like to the point of where if, if, this thing, if this thing doesn't work out in the next three months, I'm going to go bankrupt. Wow. And the first day, I, I don't think I slept a wink before we opened our first day. And uh, I remember the, the first day that we opened, there was me, two other guys that were barbering there with me. One of them actually was a guy I bought a chair off of who I had convinced to come and work there. And he's, mm -hmm. he always says that I saved him because he was going to quit barbering if he didn't. And uh, it was really interesting because the first day, the landlord of the building and like eight of his family members showed up first thing in the morning. And that was enough to keep us busy until past noon. You know what I mean? And, right. and by the time, you know, that had happened, some people had started to trickle in because they wanted to have a look at the shop and all these things. And, and it just kind of caught really quickly. And it was just like, by the end of the first day, I knew. I, I was like, oh my God, this is going to work. Like, this mm -hmm. is actually going to work. Just watching the way people were walking out. And I remember I, I wanted to stock the shelves with things that weren't just hair products. I, I took things that I thought were important pieces of, masculinity history kind of thing you know like we had buck knives we like like a little display of buck knives because i i mean i see you guys both smiling because like when you're a kid like the day that you get your first buck knife you feel like a man you know what i mean like that's the first thing that's the first little bit of power that you get as a kid you know or, or responsibility kind of thing and that feels really important what was really cool is on that day a guy walked in he's a real older older gent he's a really nice sweet man but he looked looked at me and he just smiled down. I was like, yeah, I really wanted to have some stuff in here beyond just that, you know, a lot of men stuff. And he pulls out of his pocket the same knife that's sitting in the thing. And Get he out had, of here. He had it for like 50 years. And I just about started to cry at that point. I was just like, oh my God. And he's like, I think you're doing something pretty amazing here. And to me, that was just, that, that moment made all of the hours and money and everything, that one moment made it so worth it. Like, it, I can't describe the feeling that I had when that happened. It was incredible. That's incredible. And so uh, beyond that, um, I, I was still really obsessed with collecting barber chairs and barber culture and all these things, and I was just absolutely immersed in it. And this is when I first started noticing other shops popping up in, in areas. Um, one of them, the, one of the first ones I noticed was Scorum. I mean, they're on, they have such a, a distinct style. Um, there are people I really resonated with as far as uh, elements of, of design and, and what I wanted the shop to feel like. Uh, and I mean, Rob and Lane are just, they're, they're rock stars in their own right. They're just so, they're so funny and they're, they're, they've got such personality and Yella who does all their imagery is so talented at building brand. And I really admired the job that they were doing. It was, mm -hmm. it was really great. And uh, when I got a chance to actually, uh, we, we had interacted several times and knew of each other and then got to know each other. But the first time I actually really got to um, meet them, I was at a, I was at a show in uh, Orlando. And uh, I, came, I came up, it was really funny. I was at this, I was at this party where there's a bunch of um, hairdressers and people that I knew and stuff. And everybody was kind of meeting there beforehand to kind of meet and greet. And what was so funny was I, uh, I saw them walk onto the, onto the balcony and uh, 
I remember thinking to myself like, oh God, oh God, oh God, they're here. I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. I get that butterfly thing. Like when you see a celebrity kind of thing. And I was like, holy yeah. shit. Like, okay, I gotta go. I gotta go say hi. And so I walk over and I tap Rob on the shoulder and he turns around. He's like, holy shit, it's Maddie Conrad. <laughs> I just died. I died in that moment. And, uh, him and him and Lane are the warm like they're just the sweetest guys. Uh, Rob is one of the warmest guys. He and I, he has become one of my dearest friends. I I, I really really respect what they do. Um, I absolutely think he's insanely talented beyond what most people assume, and and he's one of the most genuine people I've ever met. And I really really love that guy. Uh, so I'm really glad we met through that. Um, another shop that I started noticing at the time was a shop called Savills. And Savills is opened by a guy named Jock Davies, and he is an incredibly talented guy as well. And he and I uh, were so similar in style, and so um, we just there's there's a kindred spirit there, I think, uh, with me and Joth. Uh, so much so that again, the first time we met, uh, within about twenty minutes, we knew we were pretty much brothers. And uh, and he's remained very close as well. He's a, he's a very very good friend, and so. Seeing those two shops open in in Europe, um, you know, there was a shop, one shop that I knew of before that in uh, New York that's not there anymore. Um, but one of the, one of the shops, probably the shop that I found the most inspiration from, really, really early on, um, was uh, a place. Um, it's become Fellow Barbers now, but originally it was um, it was a little place called Freeman's Sporting Goods. It was um, FS FSC, and uh, it was basically it was one of the original kind of. <sighs> I hate to use this word. I, I hate to use the word hipster, but oh, it was, <laughs> it was a hipster. It was a hipster barbershop. I mean, it was, it was a cool thing. And I loved what they had done there. Uh, a friend of mine who's become a very good friend used to work there. His name is Mark Bustos. He was one of my very, very uh, early inspirations. He has become one of my also best friends. Uh, he and I travel around a lot together now and work a lot together, uh, but he was working at this shop. And so um, at that point, I, I noticed that there was starting to be a little bit more of a movement and people started reaching out. Uh, we, we started getting written about in magazines, uh, tons of shoots like movies and stuff like that wanted to come through and shoot in our shop. And then, uh, you know, all the magazines, the big magazines started taking notice and we were written about in details and men's health and GQ. Uh, and then one day that was probably the most mind blowing thing is I was just building this brand and barbering and, and sharing it on Instagram, mostly cause I was getting to know all these other barbers and it became this cool community of like sharing with each other. And then one day GQ wrote this article and it was about, these are the five coolest barbers you should be following on Instagram. And I have no idea how that happened, but they, they, they set my name at number one. And I was like, that can't be right. Like, <laughs> and I, started, I remember looking like, is there another Maddie Conrad? Who's a barber? <laughs> I started looking for it. And, uh, and at that point I had like, maybe 2,500 followers on Instagram, like nothing, nothing extraordinary, you know, I'd, uh, it was still, but I, I mean, to me that felt awesome. You know, I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like people that's are funny. into it. My job is to research, you know, do some research about you before we interview. Yeah. Uh, and I, I actually saw that article. <laughs> that article? I saw, yeah. I saw so you, you know, I'm not full of well. shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were the one that found it. Thank God. Yeah. But it, it would say, you know, it had number one, Maddie Conrad, and then it goes, it, it'll say something, then it goes, the man, which would be Maddie Conrad, he, he, then he would say his little piece, and then they would uh, say something, then they go to number two, the man, and but anyways, they, yeah, I, you, you were number one, I, I, I did Thank see. You. It was crazy, <laughs> yeah, that, that really did blow my mind, and um, 
and from there it's uh holy god like my phone caught fire that day let me tell you that much it was <laughs> I, I just the whole it just didn't stop ringing away and vibrating so that was really a bit of a starting point you know a bit of a hinge point for me when things started to take off a little bit and uh, and that's I feel like I've just been playing catch up to that ever since, you know, right. like I, I, I feel like, like I said, better opportunities than I ever deserved at this. And, uh, and Holy God, has it ever turned my life crazy, but I, I deeply love it. You know, I love what I do. I'm, I'm, I always say the same thing though. Like I, I, I would love this, whether I was on stage in front of 2000 people or cutting hair for one person, I feel that same sense of, of joy in what I do. You know, I really have a job where I would do this work for free. You know, like, and I'd love it, man. Like the other, the other night I'd like, my day off was yesterday and I was like, I met this kid and I was like, I really want to cut your hair. Can we cut your hair and like take some pictures? And he's like, yeah. Okay. Which is by the way, a really weird thing to do. Like <laughs> the guy doesn't know who you are and you just walk up and be like, Hey, can I cut your hair and take some pictures of you? It's like, uh, what the fuck is this guy's problem? <laughs> Cause it's weird. Right. And I mean, I have a rule like, uh, and, and I know a lot of people don't agree with this and, and uh, people, everyone's free to do their own thing, but I don't take pictures of my clients. Um, I post a lot of work. I post a lot of haircuts and stuff like that. And I know people, uh, there's a, a lot of talk right now about like, well, eh, you're always in the studio. Uh, how do you know these are really, I'm like, yeah, I, I only post those kinds of photographs because that's where I do most of the interesting work that I, I'm just excited about. Like right. behind a chair, I'm cutting hair for normal dudes. I, I cut hair every day. haircuts like everyone else, you know, but then when I want to get really creative or if I want to have some fun or if I just find somebody, I'm like, I kind of like your look, like, let's go take some pictures. Like, um, I don't do that to my clients. My clients aren't there to be my marketing. And I know everybody talks about, well, this is your billboard that walks around and that's good. And that's fine. And they can tell people if they love their hair, but I, I don't like the way that Instagram is turning people into marketing opportunities for everyone. I feel like that's not the exchange that they signed up for. You know, they came in to get a haircut and yeah, it's sometimes some people, it makes them feel great. They are like, wow, you took a cool picture and I'm on your Instagram. That's cool. And that's great. But for me, that's never made me very comfortable. I feel like you're here for you. You're here for me to take care of you, for me to give you the best work that I can, for us to have a great chat, hang out. I want you to walk out of here feeling cool and feeling better about yourself. But you didn't want, you didn't sign up here to be like, to spend an extra 10 minutes of me taking pictures of you in the back with a ring light and a bunch of other stuff and turning into my Instagram fodder. That's not what you signed up for. This is about you. And that, that is the opportunity where I take your experience and I turn it into something about me. And I, I try and avoid that. So for me, I like to, if I'm going to do a shoot for somebody, I don't charge them for the haircut. If, if it's somebody I've met, they come in for a haircut. I'm like, Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the haircut for free. If you come and do this for me. And then that's an exchange. We have like a deal. You know what I mean? They're like, I'll pay, uh, you know, you don't have to pay for this. If well, that's the currency, paid. right? Yeah, it's a currency. That's and cool. so I find that's how I do things. And that's why most of my work looks the way it does is just because I'm, I'm not shooting it behind my chair. And when people are talking to me about how do you build an Instagram, and I'm sure you probably learned this from Olivia in the class that you were talking about earlier. I mean, like the way you build it is by understanding like what it what is going to stand out about your stuff. Like, I mean, there's just eight million pictures of of a perfectly blurry fade in a barber chair these days on Instagram, and they all look the same pretty much. You know, they right. all look the same. Uh, how what are you going to do different? What are you going to do that's unique? And uh, when we were talking earlier about Anthony Muscola, one of the things, the greatest compliment I can get from anybody these days is when they look at my work, my photography work, and they look at it and they go, I knew it was yours before I saw the name. 
I think yeah. having a distinct style is very, very important. And we, um, we've talked about that a bunch. We, um, you know, we're friendly with like Presley. I think Presley very much has that like branding. She's um, hilarious too. She's really she's awesome. She's, she's such a cool yeah. person. And uh, uh, Schmegs, um, Schmegs. Oh, first, what a story. First time that uh, like it, it dawned on me that she had a brand, right? Oh, and then yeah. I've gone back from that and I've go, oh, there are people that have brands. I mean, even, even she works with B-Scene. Even B-Scene has a brand um, on, on photography. But like I was, I always knew when I was flipping through, even no matter how fast I was flipping through, I go, oh, that's a Schmegs image, yep. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I even, I even, I even texted her. I said, you know, Schmegs, you've done something amazing here. Be- and let's be honest, she's had her license for 18 months, which blows Jeez. away. Uh- kid like she is so she is so talented at that age it's like she is gonna blow oh, everyone away like, really, I, really, I really believe it she's amazing at what she does she is and and, and i text her and i go i go meg uh, uh megan you've done something that 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 few have done and that's that that your image is your brand you always know that it's her thing yeah. so i'm glad you brought that up because um i don't know if i've brought it up before but but i've been meaning to bring it up on the podcast just like how how, how there's a few of these people that really have this brand and you know, it's their work, you know? Um, and, and, and she's definitely one of them. So uh, Matt, when you started your, um, when you started your barber shop, did you also start the, uh, the, the victory barber brand as well? Yeah. So we called it victory barber and brands. Uh, <laughs> and that was funny because I remember I was, I was kind of working with the designer at first, but it, it, like the relationship didn't really work out. Um, and so I kind of had to just take it all on myself and, and he was really advising against calling it that he's like, no, that's a terrible name. But I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go with it. I like it. It speaks to me. And so I did it. And, uh, and the reason we called it victory barber brand is I always intended to start brand. I always intended it for it to be more, uh, of a lifestyle component to it rather than just the barbershop. Cause I really think that part of what I was trying to do is bring back that idea of that pride and dignity in men's grooming, you know, being the, the counterpoint to that metrosexual high maintenance shopping at the Le Chateau kind of thing, you know, and it was like more this masculine, you, you know, bring up Le Chateau. I'm sorry. You bring it all the way back to Le like, Chateau. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I grew up in that era. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. You know what? I did. The Le Chateau people can call me if there's a problem there. But here's the, yeah, going to get a letter in the mail. Some sort of lawsuits about having for sure. A and desist from a company that probably doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't even know if they do. But you know what I mean? It was like, it was this idea of like, I wanted more than that. And, um, and I mean, part of opening a barbershop, and this was a very important part of it is, is that um, my message has always been about authenticity and understanding that authenticity comes from a place of what is true. Um, you can't fake it. You cannot fake something into being authentic. You can't facade and paint over it until it feels more authentic because authentic isn't a feeling. It's a fact. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing. It's, it's truth. You can't, you can't create truth out of falsehood. So when I built the shop, it was about all of those things, but it was mo- more about mastering the skills necessary to call yourself a barber. And that was really important. It wasn't just about doing men's haircuts. It was about learning all of the essential skills to being a proper barber. And that meant shaving faces. It meant working with a straight razor. It meant all of the things that a lot of hairdressers were very afraid of at the time. And learning to shave, let me tell you, was one of the most scary things I think I ever did, but one of the most rewarding too. Because by the time I had mastered shaving someone's face, I knew that no barber could, from anywhere could walk in and call me out and say, well, you're just a hairdresser. No, I'm not. I have all of the necessary skills to 
do proper barbering. And I think that was really important, mastering the understanding of how to approach a haircut. It's not about how blurry your fade is. It's about whether or not you have a well-rounded ability to not just make a clean and functional service for yourself, but also to be able to understand the, how to build a men's haircut properly, how to shave faces, how to do all of the little things that barbers really do need to know how to do. And cleanliness above all. You know what I mean? That was the biggest thing. Understanding the difference between a hair salon and a barbershop when it comes to cleanliness and sanitization. You know what I mean? This is a big, big difference. And that was something we had to learn to master as well. So once we had done that, um, that was really where the skills started to build. You know, a, a lot of experience. That if you want to get great at barbering, practice. You know, do, do it a lot and, and you'll get better at anything. Uh, by the time we had logged, you know, 10,000 hours, we'd become experts and uh, we became experts very quickly because at to that point, shaving in a shop was not particularly popular. Um, one of the reasons why we wanted to do it in our shop was not only did it give it legitimacy, but also it was an art that was in very real fear of dying out. You know, we were, we were very close to losing shaving altogether, a generation of guys that didn't do it for the last, you know, 30, 40 years because... Uh, they'll tell you it's because of sanitizations, because of AIDS, because of whatever else, bloodborne illness. The truth is they just didn't want to do them because they didn't make as much money doing that. And right. everything about barbering during that period became about competing on price and about getting cheap, in and out quick. A shave is not a quick in and out service. It's just not. It requires preparation or requires cleanliness, requires all these different things that most barbers just got too lazy to actually provide. And so I went around to a bunch of shops asking for shaves. I remember one time I got done with like a Bic razor and a can of Barbasol foam. And I'm oh. like, you've got to be kidding. You know, this is what, this is what had come of that crap. That, that Wait a second, what is it? It was about. literally a Bic? You didn't even it get like a Mark, it was, it was a a Mark three or anything? Uh, no, man. Those, do you know how much those blades cost? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> oh, my God. That's another story. But it was interesting, though, because like that's what had come of this incredible skill set and and i think that is the heart of the craft of barbering is is learning how to master a straight blade that is that is really it's 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 heart um largely because at the turn of the century that's what barbershops were they were a shave shop you know more more than anything and home shaving didn't really come around until about 1914 when it got more popular during world war ii uh when when the gillette company launched their their safety razors up to that point there was but it was barbering was still very much the core of uh, was sorry, shaving was very much the core of barbering. So I thought that was really important to keep alive. And, uh, and we had done that. And then, uh, and then when things started to kind of boom and explode, man, we, we started doing a lot more shaves than the guy that taught us how to shave. We had hired an old master barber to come in and teach us the steps and teach us how to do it and really work with us. And then it was just practice, practice, practice. And we, very quickly on, we had done more shaves uh, in the first three months of being open than he had done in his whole life. And so it, it wow. was, yeah, it was really reemerging uh, as, as a bit of a, a booming, what well, was an oddity, I think, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people were, had always wanted to do that. It makes you feel like a cowboy, you know, or like a mob boss or something. It's like, it's right. a very, it's a nice service to have done. You know, it's like getting a facial for a man, but with an element of danger that keeps it really masculine. You know, I want to do it really bad. I just don't want to shave. You know, I know, man, I feel you. I, I realize the irony that I am like a men's grooming expert, but I look like a homeless man. I, I realize that there's... I, that, that irony is not lost on me at all. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a thing. That is awesome, man. What, what a transition from where you started to where you are now. and That's amazing. It, it is pretty cool. But you, the thing is, it's like it was the feeling of pride that, wasn't, that I was trying to restore to it, but it was really what was just being restored in me. 
you know, it was that feeling of pride in what I was doing and that feeling that it wasn't trading my time for money anymore. You know, it was that feeling that I was doing something purposeful, worthwhile with my life that made me proud to go to work every day. It made me proud to do the job. It made me proud to learn about it and try to keep those traditions alive. And yeah. to see where barbering has come now, Rob and Joth and I, I mean, we're, like I say, we're friends. We get together regularly. We still talk about this stuff and think like I, none of us had any idea that it was going to turn into this. Like none of us could have imagined that it would blow up the way that it has. Do you have a certain mantra that you kind of live by or that you, uh, that you like <laughs> honestly on, on any given day, that can be a different thing. Like, I think my life is very complicated in that I do a lot of different things. Um, like I say, when I'm teaching classes, which has become like a, a huge component of my life at this point, a lot of travel and a lot of teaching, um, it, it really is that I, I want to leave people inspired, uh, rather than impressed. You know, I, I don't let people's opinions of my work or opinions of my haircut. Um, when I post it on Instagram, I don't let that derail me, uh, in any way, because that's not really my purpose here anymore, you know, is to impress these people. My, my purpose that I have is to go out and to help people be less afraid of it. Uh, the people that need it. And, and the, the massive amount of response from that is, is, um, it keeps me on the road almost every weekend of the year. You know, last year, like I said, I was only able to go to about half of the places that requested me last year. Um, and so I know there's need for it. And so, um, so for me, that's, that's just a big one. And I think moving forward into this year, it's, it's really more of the same of that. Hopefully. I mean, we're, we're working very hard with our brand right now. I built a brand um, where we actually launched a, a styling range, which took a long time for me to finally get off my ass and do, but it, mm -hmm. it had been, Year, I, I like to say it was like years of preparation so that I could launch exactly what I wanted, you know, and, and now I've got uh, some products that we've launched that are doing really well. And of course the aprons, we were talking about the aprons earlier. Right. I don't know how that happened, man. Like <clears throat> the aprons became this thing that was like, somebody had asked like, Oh, you're doing this show. Do you have any products to sell? And, and at the time everybody was asking about our aprons that we wore and I had a couple made and then I, I liked them, but I, I wanted to change a bunch of stuff about them. And so I just like, was like, you know what? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make some aprons. And we'll bring some aprons. So I took some aprons and I totally changed them up and, and made them functional for what I thought I needed for barbering and then just more comfortable and just more style that I like. And then we released those and those things just went bananas. Like people, now they're like the thing that everybody's like, oh, you have the apron. And I'm like, our apron is now the apron. And I'm like, <laughs> so we're talking uh, about the, the, the brand and all this and, and your aprons and everything. So how can our listeners you know, find you, follow you, meet you. Uh, oh yeah. I love meeting people. Um, okay. So I'm going to be at lots of shows coming up. Uh, the next show that I'm going to be at is in, uh, is going to be in Long Beach, California at the ISSE show. Um, I'll also be in the DC area for the BTC show this year. I'll be at the IBS in New York. Um, and I will be at a myriad of other classes and, and shows. Uh, if you're listening from over in the UK, we're going to be coming out your way in March. Um, there'll definitely be some classes, some announcements. I'm working right now really hard, uh, on some education, uh, an education platform, uh, for myself, just maddieconrad.com that I'm going to be launching. Um, and really some, some in-depth education, uh, with that design of like, here's how to do it step-by-step, step, uh, no, no tricks. 
and a lot of them are um, videos that I've done from some of my most iconic photos, like the ones that most people recognize, or certainly the most popular ones. I, I took those haircuts and uh, that I did. I actually filmed those while I was doing them, and now I have step by step on exactly how to recreate those, uh, as well as like really in depth on the skill set and stuff. So I'm working on that really hard. I'm in my studio a lot filming. Right now, trying to create stuff. Um, the editing process takes forever, yeah, I but I, I'll get it. I promise. Um, you can find all of our products available at www.victorybarber.com. Uh, that is our product page, and you'll also be able to find our barber shops at www.victorybarbers.com. So, yeah, you'll be able to find all that stuff there, and uh, and we will be able to keep you up to date with uh, all the education that's coming to your area uh, this year. Awesome. Maddie, dude, first off, I think I'm going to commit you to part two because I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, oh, but I think man. that, I think I that there's that. so much more that we can talk about. I think that, that, that we kind of like grazed on a lot of stuff and, and, and I let Maddie go, but they, I definitely want to get more in depth in, 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 in some of the points that, um, that he was making. Um, Maddie, yeah. So I, again, I'm going to commit you to number two, and hopefully yeah. it won't take a hundred months to do it. But um, I would love that. Maybe we can do that in Orlando if we're both, uh, if we're both there. That's a great idea. We're actually, we're sitting in, well, we won't let any secrets out yet, but sure, yeah, sure. we would love to do that. Um, I, dude, I think at this point we just let you go and, uh, and we, we, we try to make some time. I would love to do it live too, actually. It'd be fun. Well, okay. We have to do that, but if we do that, we got to have like, uh, we got to have a drink in front of us while we're doing this. We got to be able to cheers each other once or twice. Deal. Thing, all Deal. Right? Yep. We'll, Definitely. we'll make a drinking contest out of it if you guys are down. <laughs> every, every time we write a t-shirt, uh, we have a drink. We're going to toast one off, right? That's oh, awesome. Man. I had so much fun today, guys. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. That's, it Watch was awesome. love, brothers. Much love. Mr. Matty Conrad of Victory Barber and Brands, thank you very much for joining us on Your Day Off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>